Welcome to the podcast, Most People Don't But You Do. Stories and conversations about the benefits received and the fulfillment enjoyed by doing what most people don't. This is Bart Berkey, CEO and founder of Most People Don't. We're a motivational storytelling and training company where we provide enabling tools to empower you to do what most people don't. For those listeners that have been a a fan of this podcast and have listened to well over 70 episodes, you know that I try to select people that I believe are doing, that are going above and beyond, not just from a personal perspective and a professional perspective, but for a humankind perspective. I believe I have found a wonderful person to be our guest today. Her name is Molly Clark. She's the owner of Molly Clark Consulting and Coaching. She is a people and culture consultant. She is also a leadership coach and a human resource professional. I initially met Molly. She was joining many of our Most People Don't Academy calls. And when I realized that she had incredible ideas on occasion, I've asked her and will be asking her to be a guest just to be able to contribute on the panel discussion. But let me read a little bit more about her background before we dive right into questions. So it's been about a 20-year human resource career in luxury hospitality, helping to cultivate best-in-class cultures, achieve five diamond status awards, develop individuals and teams with human resources, operational, and executive groups. Uh, Some things that we have in common besides volleyball, a fan of being a volleyball player and watching volleyball. She was also with Ritz-Carlton for almost 10 years helped out with many luxury properties in addition to Ritz-Carlton. She is a uh, SHRM SCP certified, senior certified professional, as well as a certified coach through the Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching. She serves on several boards and just an outstanding human being. Is that embarrassing enough? Should we start yes. with a question? Yes. Yes. Welcome Thank you, the- Bart. Welcome to the podcast. No, of course. And I always get a little bit, I stumble a little bit because I don't want to read too much about people because it's not about me. It's about you. So I'm going to dive right into questions and not ask any, I'm not going to say anything else. All right. (laughs) Molly, tell us about growing up and some of your early influencers. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I am from Indiana. I grew up in central Indiana. Um, My influencers in my life, first and foremost, one was my mother. She was um, very proper. Her nickname when she was young was Princess. And um, I don't know all the stories behind that nickname. My aunts have not told me all those. She's passed on now for many years, but um, she was um, a leader in the community. She served on the school board and was very active in our uh, church and so forth. But she taught me a lot about um, just how to be a lady in front of others and how to be polite and um, proper. And so she was a good influence for me growing up. Um, and then I would say another one that really sticks out who I reference. Actually, I have referenced quite often through my career because it has to do with hospitality and service. And his name was Carmen Razi. He owned a deli. It was a, um, a mon pa deli. It was my first job when I was in high school. And he really taught me the basics to service that stuck with me. Little did I know at that time, it would be such a payoff throughout my career as an adult. But he taught me when when I'm working in the deli, you know, I'm back there slicing ham and serving uh, potato salad or whatever. Um, when I see someone come through the front door, which was 100 feet away, you know, it's pretty far away. I, I got my eyes on them. I make eye contact. And as soon as they get within 10 feet of the counter, I'm smiling. And then when within, he didn't specifically say five feet, but then it's a greeting. Welcome to Rosie's. How can I help you today? Glad you came in. And that was really my first impression of hospitality. And that really stuck with me and the power of a smile and the power of a warm greeting. And 
really had no idea at that time that, uh, you know, I'd be in the hospitality field for 20 years, which was, was pretty cool to reference back on it. After I was in that industry, I was like, wow, that was a really impactful experience for me. Did that seem natural to you? Yes. It did. Yes. Mm-hmm. How, it about, did. how about siblings, brothers and sisters? Yes, I have a big family. Uh, I have five siblings. I have 11 nieces and nephews about 40 cousins, uh, a huge, huge family um, here in Indiana. A lot of them are in other places. But um, yeah, we had a, a fun um, upbringing. I was, I'm a baby. So uh, by the time I came around, most of my older siblings were out of the house. And, and so I kind of, um, I kind of got some special treatment, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> and growing up in Indiana, I mean, I don't this to sound like a horrible question, but um, Indiana as in rural Indiana, farmland Indiana, city mm-hmm. center Indiana. Yep. I grew up in a manufacturing town called Kokomo. Okay. And so we had GM, Chrysler, uh, Delphi. Um, so it was a manufacturing town. It's about an hour north of Indianapolis. Um, and that's where I grew up. And then... Um, through college, I moved to Indianapolis um, after I was or finished in college in Indianapolis, which is the capital. Okay, got it. Uh, you you reference your mother as being nicknamed Princess, would treat mm-hmm. you to be a lady. Uh, any other influences with regard to how you should treat people? Or was it more observational? Were your were your parents also very kind and hospitality oriented? Yes, yes. I, I mean, they hosted things at our home, which was always fun. But I was quite young, so I'm not sure that I really learned hospitality or hosting skills from those. But one thing that I do remember that is I just thought of this is um, every Christmas. Um, she and my cousin and I would take all of the names from um, our church who were in nursing homes, who didn't have a lot of family, and we wrote out Christmas cards to them. And sometimes it was up to 50 to 100 people um, that we would write Christmas cards to, you know, that they didn't have a lot of people to celebrate the holidays with. And that was that taught me the importance of caring for others who don't have a lot of support and people around them. Yeah. What did you study in school, in college? Communications. I had a, a small emphasis in human resources, um, not enough for a minor, but um, that's when I first started um, taking some HR classes. And when did you know that you love the aspects of human resources? Not until I got into hospitality, actually, until I joined the Ritz-Carlton. When I had, after I graduated, I moved out to Colorado. During that time, I was a travel agent, actually. And that really put the the bug of travel and hospitality into my blood. And then when I moved out to Colorado, um, I worked for a small um, family-owned um, travel agency in Vail, right in Vail Village. It was super fun and um, got to travel to a lot of places as a travel agent. And um, then they were building this hotel called the Ritz-Carlton Bachelor Gulch. Mm-hmm. And I got my foot in the door by uh, applying for a sales coordinator, uh, interestingly enough in the on the club side when they had Ritz Carlton Club mm-hmm. and so I served as a sales coordinator and entered uh, sales leads and coordinated appointments for the sales managers and then one day um, the human resources director over the hotel which was not yet open well none of it was open at that time and the club Nigel Dagnall uh, who is a dear dear friend of mine still and a mentor for mm-hmm. me personal personally and professionally. And uh, when I went to, when I first started there, I went to Aspen for the orientation because we had the Aspen Ritz-Carlton Club that was already open there. 
And so I went to Aspen for the um, orientation. I was so moved by that orientation that on the drive from, I probably shouldn't be sharing this because it's unsafe driving, but um, I was driving from Aspen to back to Vail, which is about a three hour drive or so. Mm -hmm. And um, I memorized the credo, um, the employee promise, the three steps of service, and just the, the core elements of that brand, because I was so excited about this, the, the vision and the mission of this company that I had joined. And um, so one day we had a staff meeting with the sales team and I was there and Nigel came in, Nigel facilitated it. And before we opened up the meeting, as we commonly did with Ruth Carlton, is we he asked uh, anybody if they could recite XYZ on the credo card. And I just kept raising my hand because no one else was raising their hands. Mm-hmm. And um, then he and I instantly connected. And before you know it, um, a few months later, I was on his opening team as the opening employment manager recruiting, mm-hmm. you know, 300 interns from all over the world and um, getting a staffed up for the opening of that year, which was pretty cool. Yeah. So did you leave becoming a travel agent to join Ritz-Carlton? Is that the yes. part of this? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. What did your family think when you made that change? Um, well, I think they were still surprised that I even moved to Colorado, for one. Um, and I, I don't think they really had the concept of what luxury hospitality was. And it, I don't know that I did at that, at that time. And the, the level of excellence and passion um, and just the, the feeling of that level of service. Um, and so when, when I was, when I changed over, I think they were kind of glad because at that point, the travel agency industry, you know, what online bookings were becoming more and more popular. So travel agencies were not as um, thriving as they had been in previous years. So it was a good move. And they, and they agreed with that. Yeah. And in, in, in this being, well, had you even stayed at a Ritz-Carlton before joining the company? No. Mm-mm. So you were not, I know this is a personal question, but you did not grow up or did you grow up going and staying at luxury hotels as a no. family of with five siblings out of Indiana? No, what we did as a family, we went down to Sarasota, Florida, stayed at Siesta Key, I think it was racquetball uh, and surf club. And uh-huh. we literally, eight of us stayed in one condo. That's, okay. That was our kind of um, <laughs> vacations. We drove down with eight of us in a van uh-huh. and traveled with about eight other families and different vehicles and we all packed up and drove down there and stayed in a in one condo all together Molly uh, the reason why I'm asking this I think it's very interesting when people find the right type of company or the right type of culture they don't necessarily know it because they had already experienced it firsthand but it just kind of felt right and for you to be so Mm. powerfully impacted by the culture by the credo by the employee promise staggering it is quite unique to even Mm -hmm. think that that would happen it is i i will never forget that drive from aspen to vale yeah and does um i know you were with the company with ritz carlton Different properties, so Vale, uh, Bachelor Gulch, uh, Orlando Grand Lakes. So, can you tell us a little bit about why you chose to move on and leave Ritz Carlton? Yes, yes. At that time, um, at the time that I was leaving, I was I had just not just but opened up the Ritz Carlton Denver and um, had a great team there. We had achieved our five diamond status. Um, loved living out in Colorado, but had some personal challenges going on. My husband had passed away. He took his own life. Um, and so it was a very difficult time. I felt I needed to get back to my 
family and friends support system. I did have a lot of support out there and amazing friends that I worked with that became family. Um, but it was time for me just to help me through that period to get back to Indiana and surround myself with my support system. So unfortunately there weren't any Marriott managed hotels in Indianapolis. Um, there's some different hotel management companies here. So I did have to leave the company in order to get back. Okay. Got it. And what I, I appreciate about that conversation is that, you know, the open and honesty of you needed resources and, when you first told me that about your husband passing away again, my condolences, Thank uh, you. You, you realize that you had some great friends, but you also had some great family that was needing you also, right. Needing there to be with you and help support you. And then moving back to Indiana, you had shared on another call that you and I had privately about being able to then help out other companies and other hotels that also wanted to have the same type of culture and belief. And I don't want to always compare things to Ritz Carlton, but the belief system about treating people right and mm-hmm. doing decency, treating them the right, right way, doing right by and for others. Um, you were able to help out other organizations that way. And then can you tell us a little bit about then starting your own company in what you were doing to help companies now, because I think it's a brilliant idea. You have such passion for what you do. Can you share a little bit about what you're doing now with our listeners? And then I want to get into some questions for what takeaways when people are listening to this podcast, what can they do to think about incorporating into their own lives, into their own workplace? So it can also become a better environment. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, right now there's, two ways that I'm helping organizations. One is with their senior executive teams and helping that or business owners and helping them identify what their people strategy is. Sometimes it might be that they have an HR leader and I go along beside them, or sometimes they may not have an HR leader and I am helping the, that owner or that those executive um, team members build that people strategy. And we always start with what are your business objectives? And if if they don't have those, we need to help them identify what those are first, because whatever we do in the people, with the people and in the culture, obviously we want that to impact the business objectives, right? To move mm-hmm. the business forward. And um, what I can help them do is really develop that people strategy. What are the elements that must be true to impact your business positively, all components of your business. If you have four primary business objectives, then what must be true about the things that you want to focus on in the next 12 to 18 months, in the next five years that are going to impact those the greatest? Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to ask, because you did share uh, a story with me about the Alexander Mm-hmm. And I, I know you had great success in helping them build their people strategy. Can you share that example, maybe about when you started working with them? What were their business objectives, if you remember? And what did you do to help them build out their people strategy? Yes, that was um, just uh, one of the best experiences that I've had uh, in in my career. Um, and, and that's saying a lot because I've had a pretty fantastic career. I've been very fortunate. And um, it was an opening hotel. Um, the ownership group, it was their first hotel. Um, and it was an art-centric hotel, 17 pieces of specifically commissioned art curated by the Indianapolis Museum of Art. So it's very unique. And that's somewhat unprecedented for to have commissioned um, pieces. Even throughout the world, that's pretty unique. There's a lot of art hotels, but not many that have specifically commissioned pieces. So we knew this was really special. And we knew that the art had to be, had to tie to something within the culture and to strengthen the brand and the employer brand, the brand for for the um, guests and the brand for the employees. And so from the very beginning, we went through an entire branding exercise to really identify what the core elements and the core essence of the brand was. And that was the first step to really see the vision 
okay, this is the vision. This is this describes our brand. And this is what we all stayed committed, that executive team, we stayed committed to whatever we do is going to stay within this brand architecture. So when we're making business decisions, when we're making people decisions, does it lead back to what we represent as a brand? And does it impact our business objectives? And so from that brand, then opening, you know, we set um, a strategy of what are our goals each year? How do those cascade down to the leaders and then to the line staff? How do they contribute to it? And that really is my sweet spot. I get excited when I can have a housekeeper who knows exactly the bigger picture, the purpose purpose before function, right? Mm -hmm. What is their purpose in their role and how does it impact that overall objective? And we had that there. We were able to capture that for many years at that hotel. And it was just this feeling of synergy that, that was pretty powerful. Yeah. Can you, do you remember what the business, even one of what the business objectives was or how would you have described the brand? Because as you share, everything else needed to relate back to the brand. So if I would ask you, describe the brand for the Alexander. Do you remember what it was or what it is? Mm -hmm. Well, um, what we focused on a lot with regard to the purpose of the employees and the leaders is um, the, the brand voice, which was bold, unique, chic, um, insightful um and i'm going blank on a few other ones no, no, but no. as yeah. an example when we talk about bold what does that mean you we can serve a glass of water just like every other very nice competing hotel in downtown indianapolis but how do we do it well we might put some raspberry fresh raspberries in it to bring that vibrant color out to match the motif of the hotel with the art. Um, we might, um, um, another example, oh, insightful, when we talk about when you're engaging with a guest, what's going on downtown? There's, it's a convention city. So be insightful to things that they can do while they're here. Yeah. Um, what sports events are happening and so forth. So we could always tie one of those back to how they deliver service and bring it back to the why. Yeah, got it. And I just want to summarize, make sure I'm I'm tracking, and I believe I am. But if you think about a hotel that starts with the seven commissioned pieces, the artwork. So artwork by itself is bold. I'm assuming the artwork that was commissioned was bold, unique, and insightful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. And then that aspect needed to be able to translate to how the hotel looked, how housekeepers would interact, how front desk staff would interact, how the bellman would interact, how sales would interact, how the culinary team would interact, probably with each other as well as with the guests? Absolutely. We even yeah. created with the, um, with the curator, um, I partnered with her to develop a training for art tours around these specifically commissioned pieces. And so what we did was we had certain individuals from each department, even even engineering or um, stewarding, stewarding maybe not so much because they're kind of in the kitchen, but we, we always encouraged everybody to know at least one little nugget about each piece. So because each of them had a unique story to it, whether it had to do had to do with the installation or the inspiration that the artists had when they created it, or how it ties to the local culture and heritage. Mm -hmm. um, so we trained, we put every everyone through that training as a part of our orientation and onboarding. And we challenged them and went through and kind of audited how they could give tours to guests just on a fly. So you would have people from our mixology bar servers kind of walking people around um, the the uh, living room, as we called it, um, to tell them about specific pieces and share what their favorite piece was. So it was a fantastic engagement piece for guests. Yeah. And what I like about 
that story in particular is that you are helping that one hotel, that company, identify their strategy, but it needed to relate back to their business objectives. As you shared, bold, unique, and insightful, so much of what I talk about is doing what most people don't. And it sounds like as a company, being unique and being bold is probably what the competition was not doing, whether the competition was in the Indianapolis or not in Indianapolis. But how could you continue to be unique and different, to have every single one of the employees be trained to be able to speak a little bit on each piece of artwork, pretty darn unique. Most other hotels wouldn't have the artwork to begin with, let alone have their associates, their employees be trained on making it a unique experience. And isn't that really what it's all about? Absolutely. Yeah. And you think about the impact that has on the employee engagement for them to feel, wow, this is not like any other server job. This is not like any other um, engineering job. I am empowered to create this really cool experience for this guest and tell them about what I see every single day and what I love about this place myself. And then you think about the guest engagement and how that conversation with the guests, you know, it, it just impacts the repeat business, the, the financial piece of the business, the whole scorecard, so to speak, all of the business objectives. Yeah. Molly, I wanted to ask you, because on the Most People Don't Academy call, and again, that thank you for participating on so many of them, we talk about, and our friend Joshua talks about, companies that are looking at taking care of each other over profitability and taking care of the guests over profitability. How were you able to, with that one example, and then with your current customers from a consulting and coaching lens, how were you able to help balance the business objectives of making profit with the branding and employee engagement and customer service delivery? How can you find that that balance, I guess? Between helping the... Um, well, between the business objectives of, let's say, profitability. Anyone, mm -hmm. I would assume that the Alexander, as an example, is a for-profit business. Mm -hmm. right? the, the development company, you shared some amazing things about them, but they are there to make a profit. Is It, it is an investment. No matter what business, no matter what your your customers are looking for, unless it's a nonprofit, part of the business objectives does need to be making money. True? True. Absolutely. How, so how are you able to, to blend that business objectives of making money with we need to take care of our people? Mm, we need mm -hmm. to train our people. Mm -hmm. We need to come up with a brand. Coming up with bold, unique, insightful artwork and bold, unique, insightful training might not necessarily directly correlate to profitability. How are you able to guide your customers as to there's the balance between, yes, we need to make money, but if we do this, 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 and this, it is all going to lend back to greater profitability. Do you understand the question? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's where I was going with how that experience with the employee, they feel empowered to make this a great experience for the guest. Yeah. And that right there, if your employees are engaged, uh, they are going to perform and they're going to drive that revenue, right? Which then equates to the bottom line after so many things, right? Yes. Um, and the guest engagement, the repeat business that we had, um, helping the employees to understand the overall why, because your employees in a service industry, they are the ones that make it happen. Whether, whether it's not just the sales teams, it's a service team, right? Mm -hmm. It is every person in that hotel that makes that happen. And the way that they engage with the guests is the make or break on the profitability. And when they can make that a relationship more than just a hotel stay, that's going to go the long, the, the, a very long way. Yeah. The it, loyalty it, that you gain from that. It's not just a transaction. It is 
a relationship. It is an engagement. Uh, we know now that there are certainly, I'll give you one quick example. My wife is traveling this week and she was, she's very allergic to room sprays. So a lot of times the deodorant, the sanitizer sprays, it just gives her a headache and it's not good for her. So she was calling a hotel and the first person that she spoke to was very kind. Let me look up your reservation. They got disconnected. They called right back. You know, let me see, is, do you have a frequent traveler? Not just above and beyond, right? Let me, let mm. me assign you a good room. And then she had another question. So she had a call back and the second person was like, well, what's your last name? Well, what's the confirmation? Well, we're driving right now. I don't have the confirmation. Well, what's the last four of the credit card that it was booked with? I, I don't know. She's working for a new company and it was a corporate card that was booked by someone else. Well, I'm not going to be able to help you. But the person 10 minutes ago was really above and beyond in trying mm -hmm. to help. And the reason why I'm just sharing this quick story, we know that staffing can be a challenge. To find the right people can be a challenge. Mm -hmm. What are your suggestions for people listening today, as well as for the customers that you are working with, your clients? How can you encourage them to find the right people? And I'm going to mm -hmm. pause there. I have 18 more follow-up questions, but... What do you think? How can you find the right people? Gosh, it is the most incredible labor market that we have out there. I think that many of us have ever seen with such a shortage and shift of what people want in their work experience. And this dynamic of people wanting something different, but then they're not showing up for the work, right? Or for the, for, for as an applicant. And I think it's, it's just incredibly challenging for um, recruiters out there and for organizations to get enough staff. So to be able to get them to consider, you've got to take the time to find the right person. It's almost an impossibility for some if, if they're stuck in that scarcity mindset when it comes to talent and it's it's just a real thing but what I would encourage leaders to do in looking for the talent is stay committed to who you are as a brand and who you are as an organization and they will come they it will come it, it it's such it that difficult situation that we're in it is not going to be fixed with the flip of a switch yes. and so it will continue whether or not you select the wrong people or you stay committed to selecting the right people who are aligned with the purpose of your business aligned with your core values mm -hmm. and aligned with the other key high potential people on your team and the culture i'm hearing more than anything being true to the culture if you establish a culture if you're just beginning to start a culture or develop your people's strategy or build upon your strategy, take the time to identify, to work with professionals like you, Molly Clark Consulting and Coaching, to be able to nail that first. And once you nail that first, you would then celebrate it and spread the message to the world. This is who we are and this is what we stand for. The reason why I'm asking a little bit more with regard to this one question is that, uh, you know, I do some coaching as well, some career coaching work with some friends of mine, hospitality friends, and they will share a job description. They'll share three different job descriptions in three different companies. And I have to share with you that most of them sound very, very similar. We believe in trust, honesty, respect, and integrity. We believe in being empathetic and being a rock star and cheering each other on. We believe it's all of these things. But then when you go to some independent resources and you look up the reviews or you talk to people within those organizations, it might not always be the case. Mm. What do you think about people that are looking to find the right type of culture? Yes, there are the Ritz-Carlton's of the world. There are the four seasons of the world. There are luxury companies that are known to be very 
employee centric, but with so many companies that are new and up and coming technology, not technology related, hospitality related, what advice would you have for the employees to say, you know what, these are the questions or this is what you really should do to identify, is this really going to be the right home for you? Any thoughts? Mm -hmm. From the employee perspective? Yes. Or the applicant perspective? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Applicant. Yeah. yeah. I would, I would say, um, I think it's do your homework and I think it is look for that unique branding that what is it about that company that does make them unique and how is, is the recruiter following up with you? Are they responsive? Are they getting you excited about the position? Are they thanking, you know, following up to thank for the, the time that you've spent with them? What are those special things that... <laughs> <laughs> what, what you're laughing, but I mean, it, it, recruiters are so overwhelmed right now. I know, but as a, from an applicant perspective, I would think um, that would be my advice to an applicant is if, if they've, they've got a lot of opportunities out there, it, it is their, you know, it's a, it's an applicant market. Yeah. And the reason why I'm laughing is that I, I used to be a recruiter with Ritz Carlton way back when. I wanted to make sure that the people that I interviewed, the applicants that I was interviewing, the potential candidates felt a certain way. Mm -hmm. And the feeling was respect, mutual respect. We're ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. I wanted them to feel good about the conversation, whether or not we moved forward or we didn't move forward. I wanted them to feel good about the experience. The reason why I'm laughing is that the recruiters right now, because it is an applicant-centric market, need to make sure that they are following up probably better than ever before. I share this. Most people don't show appreciation, Molly. How mm -hmm. it takes nine keystrokes in the subject line in 1.7 seconds, because I've timed it, to type in thank you. Mm -hmm. Subject line, thank you. Why can't people, why shouldn't people, we should send out a little appreciation, thank you subject line, loved speaking with you today. And not that they're giving away their cards, not that the company or the recruiter is being perceived as being too aggressive or too interested or playing games, just a real thank you. It was yeah. a pleasure being able to speak with you today. Wouldn't that be a nice solution? Genuine, authentic. Yes. All the things that you were trying to help instill with your customers, the messages that I am trying to instill through storytelling, through my customers, genuine, authentic, and real. It doesn't have to be about game playing. It doesn't need to be about describing things a certain way when it isn't actually that way just like you learned at Carmen's Deli in your first job, just like you were encouraged to write Christmas cards to people that were not perhaps receiving Christmas cards. You did it because it was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What are some characteristics? Just a few more questions for you, Molly. And again, grateful. And the reason why I go back to that, the recruiter story as an example, I, I am aware of, my friends that were looking for roles that I believe they would be perfect for, but if the recruiter or the company is not following up, if they're being delayed, if they are um, not responsive, it doesn't look well on the company. And I even heard this from someone, they were looking to hire a temporary role. They had it posted, they had it posted for months and months and months. Um, I believe we had found them a really strong candidate. They said, I'm going to be traveling for the next two and a half weeks. I'm so busy with X, Y, and Z. I'm not going to have a time, any time to look at this person's resume. When, if you think about it, if they had taken five minutes, 10 minutes to focus, look at that resume, mm -hmm. go through the process, 
it would perhaps make their next two and a half weeks even more bearable because you found people, you found people to help out. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a unique situation, I think for everybody. So Molly, it just, is. yeah, I, go ahead, please. I was just going to add, and that would, I mean, that's the same with operational leaders who are short staffed in their departments, right? They're in the weeds. And I, I have all respect for the organizational level, the recruiters, the operational leaders who they are in an overwhelmed state right now with, with the staffing situation. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I respect so much the drive and the dedication that they have and what they're doing, but creative, we've got to take a step back to clear our minds from the day to day to be able to, allow ourselves to look at this from a higher level and it, whether it's get someone to cover or whatever, but if you need people, then your pri- priority should be, all right, I've got 12 applicants. I need to sift through them and figure out when I'm setting up um, preliminary interviews and so forth. And you, sometimes you just have to help that leader to take a step back and be able to do that so that they can see the forest through the trees. Mm-hmm. And it really goes back to what you said about business objectives. When you are initially helping a company trying to figure out and build upon their people strategy, things are going to happen once that people strategy is built. Ongoing business objectives are going to change. So a business objective right now for a restaurant company might be find some great people. That is my major business objective. Yes, I know that I need to cover shifts for people, but my major business objective that I need to focus in on is I need to bring some more people in. I need to start the interview process. And if I wait because I'm too busy, it's not going to benefit anybody. Just a circle reoccurring. Molly, just a few more questions. What do you think has helped you to become successful in your career? Helping to build a a vision to put together a strategy and and following that, Um, staying focused on the why of the business and and relentlessly committed to how everyone in the organization impacts it, because everyone does in some way or another. And helping to translate that through communication and through branding and through um, employee uh, development, uh, training and development. How do we help them understand that they they own a part of this? They belong to this for a reason. What is that reason? How does it translate to them in their particular role? Um, I think that I have been able to leverage that capture it and act on it. And what makes you so passionate about doing this? Because it makes people feel good. It makes them want to get up and go into work and feel like they are a part of something and And hopefully part of something special. Okay. So that's about other people. Why are you so passionate about it for you? Uh, Because I think everyone deserves to have that joy in what they do. And I have experienced it for 20 plus years now. And I want to share it. I want to share how it's possible with business leaders, with um, leadership, um, leaders in organizations through coaching or however I can. I want to help them understand that it is possible. Okay. I'm going to ask you a third time. Are you ready? Yes. (laughs) I keep dodging the question. (laughs) And this is outstanding. And I'll share why this is why your answers have been terrific how does it make you feel oh uh doing what you do helping companies allowing other people to feel what's possible Mm -hmm. how does it make you feel molly clark it gives me joy it gives me it helps me feel so fulfilled that I can share that, that I can help someone see that. It's, it just fills me with joy. 
All right. And the, the reason why I love your answer is, is that three times I had to ask you and all three answers until the fourth answer, let's say, who's counting. It was about other people. Yeah. I asked you, why are you so passionate about this? Why are you doing this? How does it make you feel? And every single time it was about everyone else. Yeah. It's about making other people feel joy, allowing other people to experience what you've experienced, to let people know that it's possible, which just shows that you are so, I know servant leadership is certainly a term that is overused, that you are always thinking about other people, other people. I'm glad we circled back to understand the aspect of you because it does make you feel good. You giving joy to other people makes you feel good. Thank you, Bart. You're welcome. Last question. It feels good to say that. Yeah. Say that again. It feels good to say that out loud. Yeah. You need to know that. Anyone Anyone that I have on this call, I want to make sure that they walk away understanding a little bit more about themselves by the questions that I asked. And this, even though it wasn't an easy way to get there, You also need to feel proud of you being so focused on others. It is a unique quality and most people don't have it. Last question for you, Molly. What do you think organizations need to do to incorporate, and you and I have talked about this, more decency into the workplace? Mm -hmm. How do you think it will happen? We know that there's intellectual the intellectual curiosity, the intellectual quotient. So uh, it is thinking, IQ, feeling, being the EQ. And then we're going to be talking about decency quotient or doing decency. I know what I need to do as a leader. I'm aware how I make people feel. What do you think people need to do in order to act upon doing right by and for others from a decency perspective? Mm-hmm. I I believe that it is going back to the why. I, I know I've said that several times, but I that is that is when you align people or yourself or your organization to purpose. Um, and as you mentioned, you gave the example of the job descriptions. And it's true that many organizations have those people centric, uh, elements of their core values, right? Mm-hmm. I would ask organizations to reflect back on those when they're making business decisions and people decisions in their organizations. For example, um, this whole debate about returning to work and returning to the office, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I I fear that we've made such progress with a focus on well-being and mental health over the last few years with the pandemic. And we've organizations are more focused on that than they ever have been. And our society is. Um, I'm, I'm afraid that if organizations make blanket decisions like that and require people to come back to the office, they're just going to take three steps back because I think it's really going to impact them. And what um, takeaway I would encourage leaders um, to take is to think creatively and really think what is, how is it going to positively impact our business in this example to bring everybody back? Is it significant enough that we need to make a, 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 this decision or can we do something hybrid or do we need to do it at all? And really do a deep analysis of all of the stakeholders involved and how it's going to impact the business. Yeah. So looking at it kind of, if we think about, okay, well, we want everyone to come back to the office, reflect upon the why, and even ask the why, why is it important for everyone to come back to the office? Well, because our senior vice president or our CEO likes to see people he believes better ideas come that way. Okay, does that really reflect on the why of our business? If our why is to take care of our employees, if our why is to be flexible, if our why is to attract the best talent, why wouldn't we be flexible in order to 
keep, retain, and attract the best talent if our business objectives are getting met and we are delivering what we tell people we would do. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm all for human interaction and synergy and teams. I think creative, creatively, um, I, mean, I think creative solutions come when you're physically together. Um, I'm, that's the biggest thing I miss about being in hotels is that human interaction every single day. I think we lift each other up when we're around it. You get the energy up. Mm -hmm. I think it's critical to be together again. However, I think a creative solutions around how it works best for your people and what is the absolute, where's that line in the sand? Um, really think creatively about that and, and have deep discussions with your executive teams to come up with the solution that fits best for the people and the business, because it's the people that drive your business. Wow. Outstanding. Outstanding. Um, Molly, I want to make sure that I'm providing your information. If people would like to reach out to you and connect, I know you have a strong presence on LinkedIn. Also your website, mollyclarkconsulting.com. Some terrific information about the services that you offer, how you help align people and their purpose. Molly Clark, the human resource professional, coach, and consultant. Some terrific ideas. And then also, Molly, would you like to share your email address if people would like to reach out to you directly? Absolutely. It's molly at mollyclarkconsulting.com. All right. We are so Molly great. with a Y. Yeah. M-O-L-L-Y. Sorry, I should have said that. Clark, C-L-A-R-K. Uh, mm -hmm. Some terrific ideas, Molly. So grateful that we have this connection now and this friendship. Proud yeah. of what you are doing. Uh, I love the fact that you are doing these things for other people. You're trying to help companies and help employees to be able to experience the joy of what you know a working relationship can look like. And that yeah. is truly unique and truly special. And you are truly doing what most people don't. Any final Our words? Yes. Thank you so much for allowing me to share ideas with you and have this dialogue. And I shared with you before, one of the things that attracted me to your uh, calls each week to your Most People Don't Academy were the topics because they were so human-centric and people-centric. And um, it, it was just very aligned with um, what I try to put into my work and I'm so um, grateful for you and all the good work that you're doing to help share this with others so thank you for everything that you do and thanks for having me oh, my pleasure my pleasure all right we will speak soon again to all of our listeners thank you for continuing to join us and please connect with Molly Clark at mollyclarkconsulting.com thank you thank you Bart <laughs>